It's a living, growing thing. It changes people into God's friends and makes them more like Jesus. It's not just a formula. It's a living, breathing, organic, life-changing message on Paul's lips, and he wants it to be on our lips as well. A guy named David Reed, a great Scot, Scottish preacher, said once, there is no chance of the church taking its evangelical task seriously unless it first recovers its confidence in the truth, relevance, and power of the gospel and begins to get excitement, excited about it again. Excitement about the gospel. I wonder if I took your pulse this morning, if I would find you excited about the good news. It's true, this message. It's not just a technique, not merely an invitation, but it's a power let loose in the world. And we benefit from coming to an understanding of it, Paul says. You heard it, he says to the Colossians. You heard it first from Epaphras. You understood it. You believed it. You learned it. You took it to heart. It began to transform you. It's changed your very life. But not only is it true, it's, it's relevant. It's at work everywhere. It's not just work at work in you, but it's changing lives all over the place. It has an unlimited effect, Paul says, and everyone needs it. Its, rever- its relevance is, is unquestionable. People need the gospel, Paul says, and it's powerful. And notice, the power is in the message not the messenger. Thank God for that. Now there's a third part of Paul's ministry strategy that we're going to see at work throughout this first chapter of Colossians. Not only is it about a message proclaimed, the gospel, moving into the lives of people, but it is always undergirded, fueled by, sustained through constant prayer. Paul prays for the continual work of the gospel, not just temporal blessings. He doesn't pray just for his immediate family and friends. He prays continually to the same God he gives thanks to, and he prays big. He prays really big, big prayers, life-changing prayers, world-transforming prayers. I've been thinking a lot this week about how that ministry strategy connects with our lives and the challenges we face. That threefold strategy of people, proclamation, and prayer. If you look at Colossians and you think about how it connects with you, I think you'll see that this is really an invitation to us to rethink our lives and to take stock of who we are as the people of God. To ask just a few basic questions. Question number one, where do I belong? Now Paul didn't much know where he belonged because he was always on the move. He was, he was a world traveler once he became an apostle of Jesus Christ. He was one who was sent by God to go everywhere through the Roman world. And so he did, faithfully, obediently. But he came to people most of whom had never been anywhere. The Colossians, 
Probably most of them had been there from birth to death. There may have been a few, uh, a few people of commerce who, who traveled the same roads that Paul did, but, but most people were, were homebodies. They lived in Colossae. Colossae is what, what they knew. They were people attached to a place, just like we are often. Our lives are rich with places, though. I mean, think of, the, think of the places that define you for just a second. The place of your birth. I was adopted, so I had to find out later on the place of my birth. But for many of you, the place of your birth is, is defining. Uh, your hometown. When you've moved as often as Nancy and I have, you're way out of touch with your hometown, but... Maybe some of you are close to your hometown, the place you went to college, the place you like to vacation, your workplace, uh, the place you live now, uh, the place where you worship. All of these are the places that shape and, and defined us, define us. Paul, look how Paul talks about the places that define the Colossians. He, he says there are two. He says you, he addresses them as people in Christ in Colossae. Those are both true about them. They live in Colossae. They can't ignore that. As they go about sharing the gospel and living out their faith and being followers of Jesus and becoming more mature and Christ-like, it's going to be in Colossae. So the gospel has to be fitted to that culture. They have to speak a language that their friends and neighbors understand. They have to, uh, they have to sing songs and, and worship in, 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 in ways that connect with the people. They, they worship in the language of the people, in the heart language of the people. But the primary definer of who they are is they are in Christ. They're in this deep, permanent relationship with Jesus Christ. And that defines who they are. They are in Christ in Colossae. You are in Christ in Harrisonburg. Not New York City. Not Albuquerque. Not Paducah, Kentucky. Praise God. I hope nobody's here from Paducah, Kentucky. But where you are placed together with your abiding in Christ, makes a difference. Where do I belong? Second question is, what's the gospel worth to me? Are you continually astonished by the good news of Jesus? Or has it become humdrum, predictable? This gospel that I hope is true for you, because it's true when it tells you that you are more that you are more flawed and lost than you ever dared admit but more loved and accepted than you ever dreamed possible more accepted and loved than you ever dared hope that's true about each of you. In and through the cross and resurrection of Jesus, that's who you are. And that truth about you is truer than any other truth about you. 
That identity given to you by Jesus is truer and more abiding than anything else anyone has ever said about you. Any label put on you, any name given you, any dismissal or betrayal of you, all of those things shape us. But the truth of the gospel is the truest truth about us. Are you astonished by that? Does that continue to surprise you and delight you? It's also a message that I hope is is relevant to you. It's about something that has happened to you, not to somebody else. You're here because it's happened to you, because you've been accepted by Christ, because your life has been transformed by grace, because the Holy Spirit has come to dwell in you. You're not here because of somebody else's belief. If you are, praise God, but we hope and pray and will work diligently that that same transformation, that same life change will happen also in you, first person. And it's powerful, isn't it? It's on the move. Paul loves to sound this theme. Uh, Check out sometime how he begins most of his letters. These are not just little throwaway introductions. Hi, greetings, talking to you. Here's Paul coming to you with me and my friends. Uh, We'll see you soon. No, there's some of that, that what scholars call epistolary material. Little introductory material, greetings, the way we write letters in a formal way are used to. But Paul packs in there so much more. He says to the Thessalonians, for example, the gospel came to you, it sounds forth from you now. Uh, you, uh, you didn't just receive it, you received it with joy in the midst of suffering. The Holy Spirit moved it into your hearts. He gets a little more fulsome in Thessalonians than he is in Colossians. And he says, now it's trumpeting throughout the region because of how it's changed you. You know, that's still happening. This isn't ancient history only. A few years ago, Brian Chappell, who was uh, until just recently the president of Covenant Seminary in in St. Louis, reported to a gathering that in 2005, I, I, I have no reason to doubt that these statistics still hold up pretty well today. In 2005, 16,000 people came to faith in Jesus Christ every day in Africa. The center of gravity of the Anglican movement. You know, some 80 million Anglicans in the world. The center of gravity in, in, uh, in the Anglican movement is in the global south. It's in Africa. Someone has even gone on to say that uh, the, the typical Christian in the world today is a 35-year-old black African woman. 16,000 a day. That means tomorrow... 16,000 new believers in Africa. Tuesday, 16,000 new believers in Africa. Wednesday, 16,000 new believers in Africa. By the end of the week, 112,000 new followers of Jesus. Does that astonish you? What's the gospel worth? It's worth everything. And here's maybe the third application question I'll leave, and uh, 
We'll spend a little time here in closing today, but we'll spend more time on this one next week. Is anyone out there praying for me? This is a question I think a lot about as I read Colossians. Is anyone out there praying for me? Paul says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, whenever we pray for you. That's not a toss-off line. Paul wants the Colossians to know that he is constantly praying for them. You ever said to someone, um, I'll pray for you? I've heard that a lot of times from people. People used to say to me, um, I'll pray for you, Art. And I'd say thanks, and I'd walk away. Occasionally I'd wonder, did they really mean that? Did they really do that? One day I was on the phone uh, with a writer named Ben Patterson. He's a pastor in, in uh, Santa Barbara, California, and he had written an article, and the article uh, touched me, and I did what I'd never done before. I thought, yeah, I want to thank him. So I called him up to thank him for the article that, he, that he'd written. I got his secretary. She said, he'd love to hear from you. He's busy right now. Can we make an appointment? I said, that'd be great. A little surprised. She called me back at the appointed time, and she said, I've got Ben on the other line. I said, wow, cool, let's talk. So I began to thank him. And, you know, he's a busy guy. Um, so I told him what I liked about the article, and he, he got kind of animated. He said, oh, that's, that's awesome. I'm glad, it, I'm glad it had an impact on you. Uh, let me tell you the rest of the story. And so he filled in all the blanks, the stuff that uh, the editor had cut out, uh, gave me more detail. And I, I got the full story, and I was even more excited. And... Um, and then I said, look, look, Ben, this is really gracious of you to take this time to talk to me, but uh, you're busy, I've, I've got to get on with things, so, um, you know, thanks, thanks for your time. And he said, hey, Art, can I pray for you? And I said, yeah, sure. And I started to hang the phone up. Except I could hear him starting to pray. <laughs> and so I put it back up to my ear really quickly. And he was praying fervently and personally and I was weeping. And I promised myself that at that point I was never going to say to someone just casually, hey, I'll, I'll keep you in my prayers without praying then and there. You know, Paul tells the Colossians, I've been praying for you. In fact, he says, I haven't stopped praying for you since the day I heard, first heard about you and your faith and your love for each other. And then he tells them why he's praying and thanking God. I'm thankful that you're there. I'm thankful that you encourage me, that you love each other, which includes me. Um, I know you'll pray for me. I know you have faith. I thank God that the gospel is bearing fruit in your lives, that the gospel is spreading through you to the whole world. I'm glad you understand what it means to be a Christian. You want to encourage someone? Don't just go to them and say, nice job. Try this. Just say to someone, or write on Facebook. Like where it tells you, you know, today is so-and-so's birthday. Write, happy birthday, I thank God for you. I guarantee you that will have an impact 
or at least arouse curiosity. And if you have the chance, tell them exactly why you're thanking God. Nancy, I thank God for you, that you've stood by me for all these years, encouraging me, sharing my joy. I can't say that to the rest of you because I don't know you, but I thank God for you, for being here, for making a commitment to build this church, to impact this city, to encourage Aubrey. Luke, I thank God for you, for your gifts, your palpable joy in leading worship. And I pray that God will find a new avenue of service and ministry for you. I thank God for your new child. Amen. I thank God that we can be together to celebrate the good news of Jesus. Proclaim to us the message that has made us the people of God, a people who can pray for each other, and then be the hands and feet of Jesus in the world. Let's pray.